Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce cost and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. Hey, strangers. Just a note at the top of the episode before we begin. I am getting over a little bit of a cold, so apologies if my voice is a little hoarse. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Strangers, there is truly something magical about a public park. No, really, stay with us on this. We know magical probably feels like a stretch for the park closest to your house. Maybe it's a place overrun with screeching kids and squeaky swings or sun-bleached play equipment that hasn't seen a fresh coat of paint since the moon landing. Your fellow patrons have a habit of leaving trash or uh, canine byproducts in the grass, Perhaps blaring traffic or cookie-cutter suburbia across the street makes the whole thing feel decidedly mundane. But still, we invite you to humor us. Because we contend that public parks are special. For many of us, they were the first place where we had any autonomy as children. With a watchful parent perched on a bench, never too far away. Or maybe the park was the first place that you went without adult supervision. You saw a friend or made a friend. It was a place of possibility. That is the magical thing. It truly is a place of the people. Anyone, everyone, and anything. Things do happen in parks. That comes as no surprise, they are public places. Some are irritating, like seeing that annoying neighbor that you usually go out of your way to avoid, or discovering your toddler has found a lighter in the sandbox. And some are, well, less of a daydream and more of a nightmare. In a nation increasingly defined by urban sprawl, we ask, where's a monster going to hide, if not in a public park. The park is for everyone, after all. 
That question brings us to today's story, and we bring you to Columbus, Indiana, and more specifically, to a park called Mill Race. The webpage for Columbus, Indiana, describes Mill Race as, quote, one of the top 100 parks in the nation for design, reputation, and accessibility. It's tucked into downtown Columbus in a bend of the Flat Rock River. It's got art installations, an observation tower, paved trails, and lakes for fishing. Pictures online make it look quite nice, lush with greenery that turns a fiery orange in the fall. The forest surrounding the park looks dense for an urban park, and according to Columbus's website, it used to be even more forested. Or, as someone poetic on the Columbus City staff puts it, a feral landscape. It wasn't until the mid-1980s that the park got those friendly art installations and paved trails. Before that, it was spider-webbed with foot trails and cut off from nearby neighborhoods by railroad tracks. A chat thread on Historic Columbus reports that the property was only purchased by the city in 1963. And until that revitalization in the 80s, it was more or less undisturbed wilderness. But it was still a popular area with Columbus residents who were looking for a quiet spot to hike or hang out, or, at one point, to go monster hunting. Let's set the scene. On the evening of November 1st, 1974, the weather was excellent. According to the Farmer's Almanac, it was a far cry from the impending hostility of a Midwestern winter. Temperatures floated in the mid-60s throughout the day and into the evening. So, as you can imagine, Mill Race Park was busy. Local authorities were probably expecting the usual shenanigans that tend to transpire when the weather is nice. But what they may not have been expecting were reports of a monster. The first report came from a group of four women. Per the Republic, they were hanging around at about 3 p.m., sitting in mill race along the river and near a paved boat ramp. The women weren't named in press reports by their own choice, perhaps because their story felt just too unbelievable. The first report came from a group of four women. But they did later tell police that all four of them, in dwindling but nonetheless broad daylight, saw it, a monster, walking on two legs. It was green, it was hairy, and it was large, wandering in and out of the tree line by the water. It's described, for all intents and purposes, like a Bigfoot, but green. Whatever it was, it seemed to be minding its own business, so the women did not tempt fate by getting much closer. The incident would have been weird on its own, but a funny thing happened. That same day, another independent report came in from three other women. These visitors had been parked in their car in the same spot at about 15 minutes to midnight when something jumped onto the hood of the car. Per the Republic, a witness explained, a big, black, blurry-looking thing came toward the car. Its face was pale-looking, a, a greenish-white, really yucky-looking. It had long fingernails, like claws, and fangs. This monster, whether or not it was the same one, was decidedly not interested in minding its own business. 
It jumped on the car and pounded it repeatedly, terrifying the women inside. Eventually, it decided it had enough and retreated. And according to the Republic, the women inside the car were so shaken that they could barely put the car in reverse and drive to the police station. The police did admit that whatever this thing was, it had scratched the car's paint. We imagine that the car's owners did find that to be a real bummer, once, that is, that they calmed down from their near-death experience. The Republic ran a piece chronicling both these sightings the day after they occurred, and you'll be hearing a lot from them because they covered this story with inspiring enthusiasm. In that first account, the paper wrote that police had searched the park and came up empty. Per the Republic, quote, They're hoping it's only a misguided hobgoblin who lost its sense of timing and doesn't know Halloween is over for another year. But just the same, they warned other residents to take care and keep an eye out for that monster. Now, this was likely a tongue-in-cheek response. These sightings did occur the day after Halloween, easy to chalk things up to a rando in a weird costume stumbling around the park. Stranger things have happened, we're sure. Actually, we know they have. But there were several other close encounters with what would come to be known as the Millrace Monster. And we'll let you decide what you think of their veracity. But personally, these encounters, like the ones we just told you about, don't sound a lot like someone wandering around in a costume. Nearly a week after the first two reports of something running around the park, the Republic ran another piece. This time, two men in their 20s had seen a monster not once, but twice. The first time, they'd seen, quote, a large hairy thing hiding behind the trees near the covered bridge around 4 p.m. The men agreed that this large hairy thing was not a usual patron of the park. And later that evening, they came back, this time with binoculars. As the Republic tells it, they did end up finding the monster a second time, and the monster apparently found them too, and chased them right out of the park. The men did go to police, but did not want to give their names when they made the report. That might have been because they had theories that transcended the, uh, earthly bounds of law and order. Per the Republic, quote, one of the men suggested an explanation for the newly found monster that it had been left here in the early fall by visitors from another planet. Why this anonymous man felt this way is, you guessed it, not really made clear. But the Republic offers up one more tantalizing detail that might explain things. Quote, in the early fall, Columbus and much of the Midwest was flooded by sightings of unidentified flying objects. Now, strangers, you know we love tracking down UFO sightings. It's kind of our thing. Or one of our things. We have a lot of things. But we didn't necessarily find a flood of UFO reports from Columbus in the early 1970s. Per the Star Press, there was buzz in a lot of national papers about a series of sightings in Tennessee 
that allegedly occurred in October of 1973. Then there was one in Mississippi, and as we've seen, the floodgates opened for many, many UFO reports from all over the country, including the Midwest. The Star Press wrote that Muncie and Delaware counties, both in Indiana, saw a, quote, rash of UFO reports which prompted 40 different calls to the police. It was determined that some Indiana National Guard helicopters were to blame. Now, there were some other reports, like a UFO landed in my backyard and made some scary clicking sounds, but we won't get into a lot more detail on that now because, well, sounds like something we might want to look into. However, when we examine the evidence, there just doesn't seem to be a strong UFO sighting and cryptid connection there. These sightings took place over about two weeks in October, the year before the mill race monster started popping up. Could there be a connection? We doubt it, but we'll let you be the judge. In any case, it was the third sighting of the monster by those UFO-loving men that seemed to be the inflection point. The residents of Columbus, Indiana, were no longer going to be chill about this monster, and the monster, it seems, remained unfazed. On November 8th, about a week after those first sightings, authorities were growing irritated with the hobbyist monster hunters that had invaded the park. The Republic wrote, quote, Authorities counted dozens of individuals in 28 cars and on foot, searching the park along the White River. Some were armed with knives and one carried a club. It may become necessary to close the park to the public at night, not because of the monster, but because of the public. The concern, as authorities told the paper, was that people were on edge and in the dark and in large numbers. That is a recipe for disaster, especially if, say, a prankster in a fursuit happened to be wandering around. Authorities, meaning cops and the parks department, and a city dog catcher who was involved for some reason, were all trying to defuse the situation. They told the Indianapolis Star that their working theory was that a man was wandering the park wrapped in blankets and wearing a strange mask. According to the Republic, that dog catcher we mentioned actually got a good look at the monster. 20-year-old Rick Duckworth and his assistant had been dispatched to Mill Race Park to rescue two cats in a tree. It was 9 o'clock in the morning, the perfect time for cat shenanigans, and the time that we'd least expect for a cryptid to be wandering around a public park. But, lo and behold, it was there and then that the Mill Race monster decided to celebrate the one-week anniversary of its debut, and in style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Per the Indianapolis Star, Rick and his assistant were working to coax the cats down from the tree when they spotted a tall, shaggy green figure about 200 feet away deeper into a nearby thicket of trees. Rick apparently stopped working on the cats and tried to approach the figure, only for it to bolt away, as the men told the star, as fast as a deer. And the shaggy green monster disappeared into the woods, without anyone getting a better look. In case you're wondering, the cats were in fact rescued from the tree, and once their paws met the soil they absolutely booked it away from the woods where that shaggy green thing had been. Rick told the star that the kitties were notably frightened, and we assumed that he'd seen his fair share of scaredy cats. He probably hadn't seen his fair share of shaggy bipedal monsters, but in spite of the creature being over six feet tall, running as fast as a deer, and royally freaking out some cats in broad daylight, Rick was confident that they hadn't seen a monster at all. He told the star that it was just some guy. Some guy wrapped in blankets, wearing a mask and running through the park, really fast, at 9 a.m. If Rick truly thought that the monster was a human in a very strange ensemble, it makes the next part a little more disturbing. Because he told the star that he'd be carrying around his tranquilizer gun, just in case he saw this thing again. Fortunately, or unfortunately if you're Rick, it seems that he never did get the chance to tranquilize the Millrace monster. But the chaos continued. As the Republic wrote, despite official efforts, the number of visitors to the park ballooned. Instead of 28 cars in the parking lot after dark, there were soon 100. True to their word, the city began enforced nightfall closure by barricading entrances. Not, they emphasized, to protect people from the monster, but from each other. But it seems all that effort was for naught. Because as far as we can see, that monster might have just relocated. The next report we have doesn't come from Millrace Park at all, but from a suburban Columbus garage. We don't know where exactly in suburban Columbus, but it's not a big place, so we figure within a five-mile radius of the park. The Star wrote that on the evening of November 9th, a woman called police to say that she heard noises in her garage and that her son, on going to investigate, found a shaggy green monster rifling through their belongings. The son had apparently locked the monster in the garage 
and waited for help to arrive. When the police did show up, they found a perfectly tidy garage and no signs of forced entry or exit. And as it perhaps goes without saying, no monster. We imagine it was both a relief and a letdown to those officers. But there was a sense in ensuing days that the monster's performance had perhaps come to an end. November 10th and 11th were a Saturday and a Sunday. The Republic wrote that visitors to Mill Race were dwindling, though the park remained closed at night for a few more days. Officers had turned away more than 130 cars that Friday, then 60 that Saturday, and then 30 that Sunday. After that, traffic returned to normal, and the park reopened for nights. There were no more sightings, beyond that alleged one in the garage. But Columbus was not done discussing their monster. The Republic ran an opinion column on November 12th, unattributed as far as we can tell, that expressed a pretty clear disdain for the whole affair. It read in part, In addition to being dangerous, these monster stories have become something of a disturbance which brings us to the hope that whoever dreamed it up would dream it out. A few days later, someone calling themselves a concerned reader wrote to the Republic to offer their take. All this monster is is some nut trying to get attention and from all the articles I've seen, it looks like he's succeeded. If every one of these silly fools out looking for it would all stay away from Mill Race Park for a while, it would realize what an ass he or she is making of themselves and it would quit the silly masquerade. Wake up, Columbus, and don't let this so-called monster make a monkey out of you. We've got to say, that's a very snappy wake-up call, and we respect it. For what it's worth, a concerned reader seems to have gotten their way. People stop talking about it. The next time we spotted the monster lurking in the newspapers was at the end of that year. The Mill Race monster made an appearance in the Republic's end-of-year retrospective for 1974, alongside tales of burning barns and new traffic crossings and corn production milestones. Much love to our listeners in the Hoosier State, but it sounds like 1974 was really a banner year for Indiana-ness. So, the monster had successfully completed its transition from starting headline to local lore, referred to, if ever, around Halloween, with a wink and a nod and a chuckle. Technically, nobody ever came forward to fess up to the whole thing being a prank, but we all know better, right? Well, in fact, know better, except for one strange thing. Here's the funny thing about all these cryptid stories. Strangers, no matter how firmly the discourse pivots to supposing the whole thing was a farce, there are always those who remain deadly serious. Such is the case for the women who first saw the Mill Race monster back in November of 1974. In 2015, one of them spoke with the Indianapolis TV news station Fox 8 a little over 40 years after their outing in the park was disrupted. You'll recall that the women were unnamed in the original reporting, but in 2015, 
one of them decided to reveal herself. She was Tyra Cataline. We don't blame her for going initially incognito, to be honest. These kind of sightings seldom endear the witness to the public. And Tyra, as she told Fox, was not one to believe in the paranormal or the otherworldly, not back in 1974. But Tyra was ready and willing to go on the record in 2015. She recounted to Fox 8 that she and two friends were sitting in a car at Millrace Park a little before midnight on November 1st, when suddenly the monster made itself known. She said, That thing was throwing itself at the car. It was the most horrible thing you ever looked at. Its face was slimy and everything. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't somebody wearing a costume. We thought we were going to die. All three of us thought that we were going to die. Tyra said that she seldom went back to Mill Race and that it still gave her a funny feeling to be there. She told Fox that in the decades after the encounter, she'd come around to believing in the unbelievable. She said, I believe there's things out there now. Fox 8 also quoted someone named Chris McDaniel, who they described as a self-proclaimed paranormal investigator. Honestly, we had sort of assumed that all paranormal investigators self-proclaim, but no judgment. In any case, Chris McDaniel ran a site called Indiana Bigfoot Reports, which, you guessed it, logged Bigfoot sightings reported by people all over Indiana. We are saddened to report that it now appears to be defunct. Chris told Fox 8 that they received three or four reports a year statewide. Often those reports bore a startling likeness to the mill race incidents, a shaggy bipedal something darting in and out of trees without a lot more detail. But sometimes the site often got a lot more detail than the encounters we know of at Mill Race Park. When he spoke to Fox in 2015, Chris recounted a report he'd received only a few weeks earlier, from about an hour northwest of Columbus. A man said he was hunting with two other people in the Morgan Monroe State Forest in Martinsville. He was separated from the group, but then he heard a howl that terrified him. He'd grown up in the woods, heard numerous animal noises, including the crazy coyotes. And this was not a coyote. It was almost as if he'd spooked what he believed was indeed a Bigfoot. And he was letting people know that it was his territory. That man took off running. Strangers, we don't pretend to know whether Indiana has been overrun with Bigfoots for the last several decades, or if the mill race monster even was one if the mill race monster was a monster at all. But really, do we ever have the answers? No, no we do not. And that's the magic of a cryptid story. Take the plunge into listening, and it will turn out that there are many, many people who believe pretty much anything could be out there. Much like a public park, cryptids challenge our understanding of who and what belongs where. Parks are for everyone. And with the right attitude, the monsters lurking in the woods, they are too. We'll just keep our distance if that's all right with you. 
and stay out here on the playground. So far as we know, those monsters, they do tend to stay off the slides. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers, from the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers. One Strange Thing is an independently produced podcast. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, you now have three options to enjoy two extra bonus episodes a month. On Apple Premium and Supercast, you can get the bonus episodes delivered to your app of choice for just $2.99. And for $2 more a month on Patreon, you'll get more fun extras. There you'll find ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, two full-length bonus episodes a month, two monthly giveaways, blog posts, and the occasional live stream, all for $5 a month. We hope you'll check out one of these options and support the show. There's a link in our show notes. And if you enjoy One Strange Thing, please take a moment to leave us a great rating or review on your favorite podcast app. It's really helpful. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.